cutting for sign with Ron Cecil and Dana Pinnacle. The bad white man calling the devil. The Yavapai calling eyes like the sky. Today's guest, Tom O'Leary, is the owner and operator of the popular Alberta District Irish pub, T.C. O'Leary's in Portland, Oregon. He's an actor and in the early 2000s played Dr. Brendan Daly on Ireland's popular television show, Fair City, which has actually been on air since 1989. He's continued to play this role in recent years on a part-time basis while living here in Portland. After working as an actor for several theaters in Dublin, he moved to New York, where he was also an award-winning stage actor, and then on to Los Angeles. Eventually, his path led him to his wife's hometown of Portland, Oregon, where he has emerged as a local business leader. He's an eager proponent of pub culture, easy conversations, making friends with strangers, hearty food, a bit of whiskey, and a perfectly pulled pint of Guinness. Today we Let's jump Tom right into our conversation a, uh, with Tom O'Leary. Portland pub scene. <clears throat> I think you're a movie star in Ireland. Is that right? As well? I wouldn't say movie star. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think all of the above, but uh, I did a little stint on TV for a while. Okay. Was the it way like that I Ir- see it. Ireland's Most Wanted? Yeah. <laughs> 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 kind of, actually. Kind of. Uh, my okay. character did murder his brother-in-law, uh, who was having an affair with, with my wife, his sister. Wait, so okay, okay. <laughs> this yeah. is great. Okay, so you uh, are an actor, and you are on a show in Ireland. And the, yeah. what was the name of the show? <laughs> uh, it's called Fair City. And it's uh, it's soap TV, so it's been there. It, 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 it kind of plays at prime time in Ireland around 7, 7.30 in the evening. So it's different to afternoon soaps here. Okay. And we, we we don't have the added addition of very attractive people with all due respect to everybody in the show. So yeah, you've got to have something interesting to, to either make people laugh or make them cry. I don't know. Is this like uh, like Dallas was in the 80s and in the United States? Like just pure drama Dallas, all the time? <laughs> yeah, it's huge about the drama. If you can imagine on the north side of Dublin, Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, with okay. Not, not, nowhere near as much money or outfits. <laughs> yeah. How do you make right. that interesting? We figured out a way. Did you grow up in Dublin? I did. I, I grew up on the south side of Dublin, um, about eight miles south of the city centre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a, near a place called Kalini, where it's where some of the big wigs live. Bono lives up there, and some some Formula One drivers lived up there, and that kind of stuff. It's kind of coastal. It's like our Amalfi Coast. Oh, nice! Uh, kind of thing. It's a beautiful part of of Dublin. Yeah, and it's and, and how did you end up in uh, in acting? Or um, it kind of well, it started. Let's say the itch started uh, in my last year of secondary school. We, high school, you call it. We call mm-hmm. it secondary school. So, seventeen years of age, I should be studying for state exams. Uh, which I'm doing a little bit of. And then there was uh, an audition just for, for the school musical, which was Guys and Dolls, which is a fantastic musical, great fun. And uh, I landed a part in that. And it distracted me enough away from my state exams. Um, and it was the first time I got an opportunity. There's a song in that called Sit Down, You Rock on the Boat, which in the case of our production and probably a lot of productions, it's the entire cast behind me as chorus and it's me delivering this song and uh i just 
just that was that was a, a very specific moment of oh I like this I like this power I like this I like being in this position I like telling a story a song in this case uh, it felt it felt good to me yeah were you a singer prior to that I mean that seems like very ballsy to go no. from nothing to singing yeah. in a musical yeah I mean luckily the Mr Gary who was our music teacher uh, had enough confidence in me. Again, it's a school musical, so not everybody's yeah. expected to deliver uh, Tony Award-winning performances. <laughs> it was uh, it was a lot of fun for a first off, and I definitely got a sense of this was good. Oh, and also my Irish teacher, Miss Galler, who was this gorgeous woman, came up. Uh, I would like to think because uh, she just lost her senses, came up and kissed me on the cheek oh, on the side boy. of the stage. Just she was so impressed that I probably like do something. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly wasn't great in her Irish class. Uh, so that, that was, oh, wow, this is, this is lovely attention. Yeah. Stars lit up really in your well. eyes and hearts and smash. Scale go, of course, in Irish. In Irish, they did. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, you're, I can imagine oh, your whole man. parade just, like, coming online, like, zonk. Oh, I mean, no, I mean, high school, obviously, middle school. I, I, we were talking there for a minute, Ron, about yeah, you've got an eight-year-old. I have a seven-year-old daughter. and. Hmm. Living, uh, living through their eyes, of course, your children's eyes is interesting. Seeing again what the, the, the political day to day of of a, a young person's life, and just remembering that I was never an athlete. I wasn't particularly smart. I didn't have a lot of things to boast about. And then I had this fleeting moment in my last year of secondary school at the age of seventeen. Hmm. Of oh, people are looking at me and going, "Good job." Hmm. That was hmm. interesting. So yeah, I'm sure it did. It did. Uh, it did start something for me. Yeah. You don't hear that uh, articulated very often. Um, like I've Ronald and I are invited or in, involved in a writing situation right now, writing group, and we're all working on our own projects. And I've been writing a lot about that period in my life, like that event in my life that you just described. And I think, <clears throat> I don't know if everybody has it, but you know, certainly people who are lucky enough to have that moment where they, where they get kind of this part of them fulfilled that maybe wasn't, you know, for a while or in the past. And all of a sudden it's got tons of water all over it. And it just starts shooting up. It's a nice moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was. And, an, and another person approached me who, who at the time was in the entertainment business uh, and the theater game, I think she stopped me in the corridor of the school one of those nights and said, look, whatever you do in your life, uh, Keep this up. Keep mm. this up as a hobby or something. You've got something Damn. that's kind of special. And yeah, whether it becomes a love for you or whatever, do something with it, you know? And that was interesting for someone to stop me just to say that, you know, an adult, and I was a 17 year old, it was, yeah, was okay. And then I went off to do accountancy, which was uh, kind of a let's have something to fall back on choice. And did that for a few years and found that very difficult for my soul mm, i bet so um which is still hard to say because i own a business and you're trying to watch numbers uh, <laughs> but numbers i couldn't fall in love with numbers which i know people who really are mm-hmm. and i'm sure you all know them i mean there's people who just love working with numbers it's just that yeah. they have such a fascination with it and i i appreciate that so much i couldn't find that and uh 
I remember I used to sit in a, in a, in a, in a business class, uh, you know, a class for it was a business subject. And even just the way everyone was dressed, everyone else around me was dressed accordingly. You know, a lot of them probably had part-time jobs in accountancy offices and that kind of stuff. So everyone was dressed. I was sitting there in an oversized mustard jumper wearing overalls. We call them dungarees in Ireland. Wearing dungarees with my hair all over. You know, just, I should be in art school. This is, just, <laughs> can't base everything on the way you look or dress. But I just remember thinking, I am so out of place here. <laughs> what, so what, what, was there any mo- moment, precipitous moment where you thought, I've got to get out of here and you, and you went over to the playhouse or something like that? <clears throat> what happened? Well, I did accountancy and it got, I got, I struggled through. Uh, I got to a certain level and and then I took a breath. And I think I, at that point, I was able to say, well, I've got these exams at this level. And I'm sure to please, not so much please my mother, but just to please a logical mind mm-hmm. of having something extra there. Uh, and then I went, okay, I'll take a minute. I used to hang out with a few friends and we used to mess about with the idea of not even acting, but just comedy things and having a laugh. And one of those friends had uh, gone, had had auditioned, gotten into a drama school, and I'd met him one day in a bus, and he was talking. Uh, he was just so excited, so uh, into what he was doing. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I should try that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should. I mean, at least try an audition and just see if you know if there's something there. And went along to a couple of different auditions and got into one of the colleges. On an audition. And, uh, yeah, it was a full day with a whole group of people. It was, you know, it was quite strenuous. You had to perform, uh, I think you had to perform a classical piece, a modern piece, a piece of poetry, and probably sing a song, if I'm not mistaken. Do you remember any of the pieces and it was that a full you did? Day. Um, wow. Um, would have been, definitely would have been Shakespeare. Probably something that- from Two Gentlemen of Verona. Probably something in there. Um, nice comedy piece. Uh, what else would I have done? That's all I've got right now. Oh, the who, who was the comedy piece. influences for you guys back then? What this would have been like uh, the eighties, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mid-80s. It would have been the eighties. Yeah, yeah, the mid mid uh, late late eighties. Um, I mean, TV was a, was what we watched. We didn't. We didn't even have really. I don't think we even had a VCR at that stage. So it would have been would have been TV shows. Um, what I my judgment on what I was influenced by is what I returned to on YouTube. I don't know if you guys have the same experience, but it's oh my god, I, oh my god, I remember. So there's a comedian, uh, an Irish comedian who uh, lived in England. Like a lot of really talented Irish guys would end up on British television. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you haven't heard of a guy called Dave Allen, uh, he's an, an ex- he was an exceptional uh, Irish comedy talent who had a comedy show, which I think the format kind of still runs nowadays, where he would he would just be sitting on a stool on a stage with an audience and stories. Uh, he wouldn't have been just a joke teller as such, but he would tell stories. And then he would have skits as well on his show. Um, and he was exceptional. And also he took on the church in a big way, which was probably part of the reason why he wasn't on Irish television. Oh, I um, see. Yeah. Well, that's like yeah, he, he pretty was, controversial back then. Oh, huge. Yeah. yeah. Huge. 
But still, he was funny enough that um, my my family weren't particularly uh, religious, really. Mm-hmm. I don't think um, it was certainly part of our muscle memory to go to church every Sunday. Part of our kind of community and and the the social element, I think, was a big part of it. Um, it has its uses, definitely, as a Roman Catholic. But we weren't uh, we weren't scared of a laugh. I right. think at the, at, you know, at, at the church, and certainly at that time, it was it was it was very. I think it was very important. What did your because, family think of you going to uh, to go act and try out for this college? Um, at the time I went to drama school so my I lost my dad when I was 21 mm. he died at 58 years of age he was very young mm-hmm. I'm not far off that now myself um, and so it was just mum at home I remember coming home from that audition because we heard that day and of course in some of these colleges they even then they were making things dramatic that they'd bring everybody into a room and we'd all be standing there and then they'd call out names and they'd have people leave the room and whether you were left in the room or you went to the other rooms, someone came along and told you, yeah, hey, it's you, you're in, all that kind of stuff. So it was it had that kind of feel and euphoria of, oh my God. And I kind of, I remember going home and ringing the doorbell and mom coming to the door and saying, mom, I'm an actor. Ah, wow. <laughs> wow. Who the hell are you? Jesus Christ, what's happened? Um, so that was hilarious. Uh, and then I remember what I, I had a part time. I think I was I was working at McDonald's in Dublin, Donnybrook, uh, while I was in college. And I remember going back to do a shift there, and just while well, I walked into the building, just went, oh, I, "I can't be in here anymore. I can't do any of this stuff anymore." Mm. I can't, you quit uh, on the spot? Pretty that night, yeah. I, mean, I, I remember just being on the outside of the counter, just you know, getting something a snack before I started work, and going, "Oh, I, I can't." This is no, I can't be in this environment anymore. It's cool. That's kind of one of the things that we really talk about a lot here and search for and is those moments in people's lives, in our own lives, you know, where you just have those feelings that you maybe and what's cool too is sometimes you act on them that night, right? And sometimes you act on them 20 years later. Um, that's kind kind of what I've liked and why I personally wanted to see you on the show is because you you have that voice that's pretty strong you act on it and at the same time you're grounded in in family and in society and your culture or in your case your cultures since you are from uh, you have two places that you're a citizen essentially right <clears throat> yeah well as an irish citizen yeah i'm a green card holder here in, in oh, okay. the United states um i haven't chased that down although i've been here 11 years so I could, uh, I could definitely look into that. Yeah. Well, and you're married to someone. Yeah. Certainly. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyways, but that just, that's, uh, I've always liked that about you. That's probably why we've become, well, Tom and I are close friends and, um, I just, you know, it's been, whoa, B, hello, California, man, birds and the bees are out. (laughs) 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 Um, you know, I've got, I love in your story as you continue to tell it, you'll see, you know, people will see it wraps acting wraps back around after you start a couple other ventures here and the way that's done in your life and the way it continues to unfold in these unique experiences. Anyways, please continue. Cause I love, I love all, all of that, how it wraps up or how it continues. Right. Well, th- so that was it. That got me into the drama school. Uh, and I did three years of that in a place called Bull Alley in the Liberties in Dublin and got to work with, interesting really interesting people 
um, and came out the other end of that, hung out in Dublin for a minute, kind of uh, like, like what happens, I think, to a lot of actors and artists coming out of college, uh, all, all coming through college going, where do I get my job? Where does that thing happen? And then was very fortunate enough to go off to Prague for seven months uh, to work with an American director who had a theatre company, an English language theatre company in the Czech Republic, Prague, uh, and went over to do what is probably still one of the most influential plays that I've ever been involved in, which was a play called Translations by Brian Friel, an Irish playwright uh, from Northern Ireland. Um, and he started uh, a theatre called Field Day. Um, and this uh, was just, yeah, it was a very fortunate opportunity. Myself and another actor who I was in college with, her name is Gail Fitzpatrick, the two of us got a chance to go to Prague for initially it was three or four months to rehearse and perform this play, which uh, in that environment was was very uh, it was very well received because the play is about language, about land being taken from you, about generations, about education, about love. It covers so many subjects. It's a play that uh, everyone should read. I highly, highly recommend it. You said it again. Yeah. <laughs> and it's called Translations hmm. by Brian Friel. Um, and it's, it's basically about uh, a topographer, a map. Uh, reader and creator who arrives back in a small town in Donegal in the north of Ireland uh, at a time when the English still ruled over Ireland and the English were coming in to anglicize all of the place names, hmm. changing the maps of the country. It's, it's, it's again, it's a very strong metaphor for uh, a, a political overview. Um, and this was something that happened twice in the Czech Republic with both a Russian uh, oppression and a German oppression. The language was, uh, the, the, the street names were changed twice. The, they tried to destroy the Czech language. The Czech language is, is an incredibly difficult language to learn. I think it's got seven cases. I think English has got four, three, four cases. Um, so it's a very difficult language. And uh, the Czechs somehow held on to their language and, and have it stronger than the Irish do. Um, mm. So yeah, and and so all of those elements. There's a lot of other elements to it. There's a lovely, there's a, there's a love story between an English, an innocent and good-hearted English soldier and an Irish woman who, and they can't speak each other's languages. Although the the play is all written in English, it's acted in two languages. So it's, it's a wonderful, uh, there's a wonderful dialogue between two people who can't understand each other. So they, 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 yeah, they, it, it's a beautiful piece. So that was something I was lucky to get involved in. And it was interesting having an American director. I think that was probably part of the reason why we got involved in it as well. Was it, it was to, we were kind of a tuning fork for what would be considered the Irish elements, and then there were British actors and uh, American actors who were were also involved, so, and Czech actors actually who were really strong. Hi, sweetie. I'm just in the middle of a meeting. Are you okay? I'm just. I'm just <laughs> um, that's on, yeah. That's the, my daughter was talking about. Yeah, I'm in the middle of schoolwork as well. So, uh, as we know, days are like that. Oh yeah, yeah. I've got uh, both my kids here, and one in his room, and the other in her room doing their schoolwork. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, and she's actually she's doing very well coming off the new year because she's she's become more independent and more able to 
to to get through all of her work. Um, That's great. That's great. So I I can't imagine. Had you traveled before you went to Prague before? No, no. Yeah, yeah that's a that's a brilliant question. Um, I'd never moved. I'd never lived outside of of uh, the family home. Hmm. Oh, I, well, no. For college, I, I lived in Dublin City. I moved out of home, moved into Dublin City with with another student friend of mine, and moved around Dublin City. Lived in different places. This is the first time moving out of Ireland and moving to a country that didn't speak English uh, in general at all. Um, the only other language I had was German from school, which was limited as well. And they weren't welcoming that language, as you can understand. Uh, so you couldn't really use that. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was both thrilling and uh, terrifying. Uh, I remember one night very early on, because we went over in February of, uh, where are we now? Uh, 97, I think it was. And 1989 is when the Czech Republic got its independence and, and uh, became its own country, the Republic, uh, the Czech Republic. Yeah. So it wasn't that long after that. Things were changing, changing quickly. McDonald's had arrived there and other things in the center of the, of, of, uh, the city. But still, it was very much uh, a foreign land to me. Uh, and a couple of strange things happened, actually. Um, one thing that happened that was very weird was the first night I spent, um, we obviously flew over. My friend, actually, Gail, had a friend who was living there. She was also part of the reason why we got there, because she owned a number, or she was managing Irish bars in the Czech Republic. And that theater company we're looking for in uh, sponsorship. And she said, well, well, we'll help you along with that, but you've got to bring in Irish actors. So she, she, she was part of the reason for getting us in there, which was a lot of fun. But my friend lived with her mate, of course, in his wonderful apartment. And uh, I was uh, shuffled out to a friend of the directors who, who lived in what's called, they're called Panalax, which are the, the, these uh, massive apartment blocks and they all look exactly the same this may be a vision or this may be something that you've, you've seen in movies etc like eastern block eastern, eastern block. block absolutely yeah, yeah. there's literally 20 of these buildings on a street uh all of them are exactly the same yeah and uh and then there's also probably 30 streets and wow. they're all exactly the same wow. so the language is incredibly difficult even the the wording on a map as opposed to the wording on the signage is because of cases and language are different. So Whoa. even finding from a map where you're meant to be or where you are. And I remember one night specifically coming home and just, I got, I got out of the wrong bus stop, which they all look the same as well. Yeah. And just ended up wandering through uh, this winter landscape. It was snowing and just this, this could be it. <laughs> <laughs> Little Tommy's I mean, never coming back from Prague. <laughs> Crazy. It was crazy, and I, don't, I can't even remember how I ended up finding the, the the right building. And but yeah, got in and was very very happy. And like I, that first night I was there, and I met met my uh, house partner who was just a lovely person, and uh, went to sleep in the room. I got was really nice, very warm. I remember these these buildings are really well heated. That's uh, so where the window opened. It was winter, and that night. Kind of while I was dreaming, somewhere in a sleep state or somewhere in between, I had uh, what I can only call is really like a possession, hmm. an evil element, an evil spirit, an evil feeling. 
a really, really dark and powerful element I could feel entering my body. And uh, in this dream state, whatever, her gorgeous little cute cat had come into the room and I'd beheaded it. Uh, and it felt extremely real. It terrified me. And I started reciting the Our Father. And the feeling dissipated and cleared. So all of that is in my mad head. But all of that happened. And I remember waking up and I remember getting out of my bedroom and walking around and looking around this place I hadn't been before to find her cat. Or would I find parts of the cat or whatever it was and everything was fine but whether that's my own psyche my fears my anxieties a different world a different element a spiritual element entering me i don't know what the hell it was but Mm. i seem to fight it with a a roman catholic prayer it was uh, yeah a very strange thing that's a few of those kind of things happened to my life different points spiritual yeah Feelings. I'd like to think everyone has these too, or maybe I'm just a madman. Uh, but it reminds was... me of your. Uh, go- I hope we at some point in time in this chat we get you can tell your ghost story because it's one of the better ghost stories I've ever heard. Right. Yes. But indeed. I didn't know that. I'd never heard the one you just said. Sounds like a yeah. repeat thing, Tom. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a very it was a very specific thing, and yeah, I, I presume our subconscious is working very hard, you know? Was that, was that meaningful for you at any time or during that time? Or was it just kind of something that happened that always stuck with you? The whole journey or the... No, the just that experience. It's certainly, it's certainly something that held up. And I would think even at this age, I, I would think at different points I return to it and think differently on what it meant. Yeah. And right now, I think at this point in my life, I would think, Excuse me. More, more than likely, that's all subconscious dream uh, processing. Uh, I obviously was arriving in a place that I've never been before. I didn't have the language. Uh, I was going to be working on a, my first professional play outside of college, um, away from my my family, um, and everything I know. So all of those anxieties probably, I think, the impulse. It's probably you've got to get up now, get off the toilet or whatever the term is, get up and fight your But it's weird the way it went. Weird that it had this dark power and and also the necessity for me to pray my way out of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um and I think at the time I definitely the way I would have like I, like how I started this conversation was saying that I was possessed. That's how I felt for years, is that no, this is not something this is not something from me. This is something that came into me. Do you feel um, like it, it at, at that young age, did you feel like that dark thing was still in you? Or do you think from that night that it, it left? And not thinking about it now, like you don't have to like, you know, explain it time, away, but at the time, at, yeah. At the time, I think it left because the feeling was what made it more uh, of an, what made more of an impression is that it was it was a full body experience, physical yeah. experience. M- the muscles of my body, the, the 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 sensory part of my body was reacting to this, as if I had in, uh, received this power. Yeah. 
So it wasn't it wasn't a, this is a fear because you know as kids as a kid growing up or whatever I would have seen the in the movie Salem's Lot scared life out of me forever and ever and ever <laughs> and the little kid at the window thing all of that stuff so I was always had this I always had these fears and in my dreams would be chased by vampires all this kind of stuff uh, and would understand what that fear is and the run from it or whatever it was but in this case it was something had yeah had come into me empowered me. But that empowerment was dangerous, and it felt it 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 it, it felt good in a way. But it was yeah. what it was. Yeah, were it, you? Uh, the cat was wow. Yeah, that's intense. Were you eating some Stilton cheese or like you know <laughs> you anything like that? Like it was I probably something Czech. Yeah, it may have been <laughs> yeah. Curious. Borscht, I, when I was sure. twenty, I lived in uh, Zambia for a summer. Oh, did you ever find the cat? Yes, yes. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so Zambia. Wow. Yeah, I, was, I was in Zambia and I was volunteering at a, a school and volunteering at a hospital with religious people. I grew up religious. I went to religious school to be a pastor. Oh, Didn't wow. take that path. But I had a similar experience where I was laying in a mud hut. That's where we slept every night. I slept on the ground. I slept, you know, on a little thermo rest in a sleeping bag for three months. And one night laying sleeping there uh something gets on my body and what felt like talons held my arms to my body and i felt some kind of mouth like touch my mouth and like suck the life out of me like literally it 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 inhaled and i couldn't stop exhaling to the point where i couldn't breathe and full body paralysis full body terror um because of my background as well like the, the all i could eke out was was like some form of the name of jesus like right. it was it was just all i could say not even the full word and and as i began to try to say that like my body kind of came back online and and like little by little i could start to move and i was so so adrenalized and so freaked out and at that time i thought i had a full-on spiritual attack experience it, you know something like that i don't know like now near now i'm like was that sleep have you heard of the term sleep paralysis yes yeah, yeah. like i don't know if it was sleep paralysis and because of all the, you know the crazy cultural change i was in from suburban america to rural africa and seeing you know all the way that people in the bush live and and my brain was like, you know, working double time trying to keep up with that. And in the context of my religious upbringing, like, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. But it, it scared the shit out of me for a good while. And right. it's curious. I mean, it's really curious to hear you had a similar experience traveling in a foreign land as well. Yeah. And uh, and there's no, uh, obviously, from what you're just saying, there's no clear answer to, to either one or or... Is it a coming of age thing or, or, or yeah. I, mean, I, I, I enjoy the idea of there's a time in everyone's life where darkness or his spirit or something could, could take control of you or could influence you. I love all of that idea, but it's yeah. quite possibly scientific and yeah, sleep apnea or some sort of sleep uh, paralysis. Um, 
How was that influencing you the rest of your trip? Did you, I mean, when you were like acting or when you were with friends or something like that, were, was that ever in, you know, in the back of your mind? Did you feel like you, you had some kind of some, you know, debt to pay something to work out, like some, some extra danger resulting from that? I, a number of things. Um, I remember the difficulty in rehearsals. Hmm. Uh, and I remember, um, I remember one specific day where I, what I would do a lot and I, and I'd still do it. Uh, I haven't been involved in a production in a few years now, but I generally beat myself with the stick quite heavily uh, when it comes to the work. And, and right through my acting career, it's, uh, a lot of people have said to me, Tom, you, you don't need, that's probably damaging. You don't need to do that. If you're getting something wrong, you probably shouldn't hurt yourself. You know, but what do you I mean do. by like, do you, do you, so if I'm working on something yeah, and I have a script or I have a monologue or a piece to learn, I'll be incredibly hard on myself for not being able to either remember the words in the sequence or understand them properly. Uh, and my process has become through that self using or whatever, I will, uh, use a lot of repetition and and work and work and work and work and work and work and and kind of hurt myself to get into this state where I when I do find the the true meaning of that dialogue line word whatever it is it generally comes through a very difficult process so did you did you actually like punch yourself or did you call yourself like Tom you son of a bitch like get your shit worse. together yeah, like, I would think worse than that I wouldn't it's not physical but it's certainly yeah. psychological to myself going you are you you're an idiot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you really specific wrong. questions around this like when you were saying that kind of language because I work with guys all the time in this kind of world when you right. were saying that language. Did you hear it first as someone else's voice, voice. like your dad, your granddad's, like a teacher, a coach, anything no, like that? No, that's the funny thing. It was never someone specific. It would have, I think it would have developed from my own. I mean, now that trying to think of it, uh, its origin in my life would have probably come from a teacher from my uh, primary school. Pre-prime, mm. you mean at the age of five or six? Oh gosh! And I, I would have been, I would have been very nervous to, uh, very nervous to read in front of the class because I would, I always felt that I was, it, I, I wasn't able to do it myself, or that I felt the judgment on me was very. Sorry, sorry. Were you, were you uh, dislike? You can go ahead. You, you need to, you need to do your dad thing. It's okay. Okay. Um, yeah. I, uh, I'm imagining that that voice in his head has an English accent. Versus Irish. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Knowing, knowing Tom, I'm almost certain it did at least sometime. <laughs> um, could I just take one minute? Yeah. Yeah. Take your time, man. Take your time. You know, I was in I, the one night I went to Ireland. I went, I went to a bar and ended up watching like, uh, a boxing match on the television that was between an Irish guy, like the top Irish boxer and the top British boxer for whatever weight class it was. 
Ooh. And you could feel it's the real deal. You could feel the <laughs> tension in that bar that night. I was like, oh shit, like someone's gonna get glass tonight. Like someone's like I like, I didn't know that that was a real, real, real thing until yeah. getting to know Tom and some of the experiences I've had with him talking and you know, singing in his pub at night and listening to him talk. He's so passionate about being Irish and it's not exclusive to him. You know, it's, we were talking about it just the other night, actually. It's what causes this deep, deep um, cultural identity. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and when I lived, uh, I lived. <laughs> you both, Tom, I know my daughter's walked by. You both have little rugrats <laughs> scrambling around in the back. <laughs> we're just talking about. We don't want to get too far off topic, but we're talking about the like the for real animosity between the Irish and English. And, oh right, yes, and yeah, yeah. Your internal voice, you know, the one that's me doing <laughs> English. But I was telling him about, I, you know, I, I lived that. in Birmingham, England, for a few years. Oh, wow. uh, working for a car company and Birmingham is like the Detroit of England. I mean, it is like right. not glamorous yeah. in any way. And uh, I guess there was in the 70s, I don't know what the timeline, but there was some Irish guys that had, you know, blown up some pubs or something there. And, 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 and there's all this animosity from the British, how much they hated the Irish. And I was like, aren't you guys the same? Like I, like my brain, like I couldn't bake it. And they, they would just talk so much shit. I'm like, what is happening over here? But now, you know, so uh, anyway, back to this beating <laughs> yeah, yourself up here, man. That's another podcast. It's a totally different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think maybe one we should return to at some point. But uh, maybe we'll like get you and an English guy out of like make yourself. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> it was your inner Englishman that had you uh, had you that night that was beheading cats and all that. You're just you're, you're just a very complex, conflicted human. It's great. <laughs> When you, so let's talk about that, like beating yourself up thing, man. Like how long did that stay with you as an actor and as a professional? Oh, it still is. It still yeah. is. There. And anyone who unfortunately has to work with me has to deal with that in a lot, in, in a lot of ways. Um, I think, I think I try to curb it more. Um, and I think I, I try to get out of it. Um, I think I've improved that situation in my life with work. Um, but it it would have been it's a funny one as well i i i would say that you it's it's whether you need to be in an emotional state in order to find the triggers or the pieces of of dramatic writing mm. and to be able to sit down and go here's here's a dialogue or here's a here's a piece and just learn it verbatim uh would be a wonderful thing but i just can't do that i have to work endlessly on breaking down everything and figuring out where it fits together and and all these little things and it was from years and years of 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 what i felt was a a frustration and a I don't think I'm dyslexic but I, I just wasn't great with language and wasn't wasn't never a great reader um, and those frustrations uh, certainly uh, snowballed over the years. And, and it's funny because they were talking about uh, the bit of work I did on TV. I was in the TV show for six years. And that level of uh, muscle memory is very unique 
Um, whereas you work f- maybe three, four, five, six weeks on a play to develop it, you've a lot of time and a lot of that repetition and discussion for something uh, was what I was used to. And then I went into TV and TV is literally, here's your script. Uh, we'll give you a couple of days. You could have 10, 15 scenes um, that are all going to be recorded on camera, which is incredibly detailed and picks up every little nuance. Um, and uh, and in some cases, in a couple of cases, literally on, on, on days when I went in to shoot, they were like, we've changed the scene. You've got 15 minutes to learn this monologue. And for me, that's, that's the height of fear because that's not one of my traits. Uh, and I really have to work and work and work and work and work on, on lines to get them down. And it's funny. It, 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 I wish there was a part of me that would just go, hey, release that. Look at the fresh words on the page. Just soak them up. Should be easy. But I don't do that. I've always tried to figure that out. You're relaxed. And if you're in a good state, and for anybody who's trying to learn stuff, or, or, or just like my daughter at the age of seven, trying to learn something, or, you know, spelling words, whatever they are. Yeah. If you are in a relaxed state, that comes to you. Can come, you you'll accept it easier. Yeah. It'll go in easier. That's yeah. much, it's a much, it's a much, it's a, it's a proper place to learn from, but that's not whether it's, it's certainly not what I'm used to, or maybe part of it is walking out onto a stage is they say, uh, Fiona Shaw, who's, who's one of Ireland's finest ever actors, uh, made a st- made a point saying that the opening night of a, of a, of a play, a production she's been working on is the same psychological, uh, impact as a car crash. Mm. So psychologically you have to be ready for this thing. And I think part of it probably is that if I put myself under a lot of pressure beat myself psychologically to get this thing into my head. And then it's, it's kind of, it's marked with that. Now, when it comes to the opening night of production, not that that's easier, yeah, but that it's in the same, it's in the same emotional field or it's in the same place. That's actually the, I would use the word trauma. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. man. So you want to be, and maybe you, and then for me, probably too, it was that became addictive too. Mm, I bet. I bet. I think also the common, I mean, I've never been in a real play. Like I did church dramas because we thought we had to do that to proselytize people. Um, Our own form of (laughs) self-punishment. But there, but, uh, but what I was going to say about trauma is on that same trip to Africa, we got in a really terrible uh, truck accident. And what I found since then is when you experience something heavy like that with other people, you're now glued to those people. Like there's this like kind of camaraderie community with them. And I, and I would imagine so, and I'm sure both of you could speak to this, like that you now feel like you've been in the trenches with your, your cast and things like that. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that was also something when Siobhan and I, my, my wife and I got together, I think that was, I'm sure that was hard for her to understand. Mm. 
whether it came across as insincere, the kind of when, when people talk about lovies and, you know, the hugs and kisses of actors and, mm-hmm. you know, and around that game. Well, it's, there's a genuine emotional connection with yeah. people going through these things, going through them together, succeeding together, not and, and failing together. Yeah. Whatever it is, there's a huge connection. Fascinating. Yeah. So, Fascinating. Yeah. That, that relationship is very strong. Yeah. Um, your process kind of reminds me or makes me think or consider how different people's processes are from, from each other's. And um, it it's, I've seen people who can do what you're talking about. I'm sure you've seen many more where they can just relax and see the thing on the page and they don't have to, it's almost like it's floating to the surface instead of being mined, you know? Yes. And yeah. I, I think that that's, that's one thing that's good to know about ourselves in creative processes, which huge thing on my mind right now, Ronald too, again, because of this writing thing that we do. Um, I also paint, but as specific to writing, um, I'm sorry, it not specific to writing, but just specific to the creative process. I know that my process is something similar to what yours is. And that's more of a mining work. It's kind of hard work. And then people who have a different way about them, maybe they would say, oh, you're doing a bunch of work. You don't need to. But that's how different people's psyches really are. And to get a creative, authentically creative thing out of the psyche is a different process for everybody. And it's very much like pulling things out of extremely different landscapes, like the sea and like earth, you know? That's yeah. kind of how I see it. There's, a, there's an Italian word for... Uh, what you might have experienced in Prague called Duende, which is a demonic creative possession. And that's the word they would use to describe like the overtaking of your creativity and and working kind of beyond your means, beyond your understanding, beyond um, your own ability. And kind of to the point of where it's like, it might be a little problem. (laughs) (laughs) another thing uh, that relates is going to i'm going to jump around a little bit a little ahead so another play that i worked on uh in in years a few years later after coming back from prague and being around the game for a while and ups and downs in in the theater game trying to figure out you know whether this was for me It's it's a tough struggle um but i i ended up doing a play by stephen burkoff uh, who's a, who's an English theatre practitioner, uh, who's an immense talent uh, and an immense uh, identity. And uh, this play uh, of his um, is called Decadence, which is another piece that I'd still love to do in my lifetime. Maybe do it here at some point. It's a, a, a two actor piece. It's brilliant, but it does it requires, like we were saying earlier, about going to a very dark place. And and is that something that's within me? Whatever. Uh, and I certainly very much enjoy working on on that production and uh, being able to possibly uh, exercise a lot of demons, get things mm-hmm. out. Um, and there's another play called Toyer that I probably spoke to Dan about, which is one of the first production I ever produced uh, in Ireland. It was an American play called Toyer by a guy called Gardner McKay, an American uh, TV actor and playwright. And uh, that was my biggest success, uh, certainly at that at a younger age as a producer and actor and trying to put theatre on. And that was playing the role of a psychomamist who uh, just toys with women 
And uh, I really enjoyed, again, understanding the parameters of the fourth wall, the theatre space, mm. make-believe, understanding all of that and enjoying going to a place and enjoying creating this environment that's very, very dark and very playful and kind of sexy and cool, uh, but very, very dark. So, and then I heard uh, there's a, a, a very successful masseuse in Dublin who had her own practice. And she also, I think, would have uh, other spiritual talents, like she could either mm. see color or see your, a, a spirit element of you mm. within her, or she could see it in other people. And she went along to see Stephen Burkoff, that guy I'm talking about, uh, the English pra- theater practitioner, went along to watch his show. And he, did, he was doing a one-man show. Uh, and she was... Uh, she described it as seeing uh, within him or behind him a character, a very, very dark, shadowed uh, spirit element towering above him on stage. That was part of his, whether it was just his theater spirit performance thing or an element of him. That seemed fascinating. Dark. Fascinating. Yeah, exceptionally dark. And when you see Burkhoff and you see his work, you, you, you might know Stephen Burkhoff because he played the villain in what was he the villain in? It was a couple of big, like like maybe Beverly Hills Cop 2. He was the English villain. Or uh, <laughs> that, that kind of big eight. There was big eight, it would be Die Hard 2 or something like that. He did a couple of big ones back in the 80s where he was the villain. And he's incredibly he's an amazing practitioner, amazing artist. Mm-hmm. Uh and actually, that's the, that, that's the second the second play I ended up doing in Prague was his adaptation of uh, Metamorphosis. Oh wow! And yeah, so we did a theater adaptation of that where I probably this this the best shape I've ever been in my life was where we had to you had to play an insect, you had to become an insect, and be able to. I just there was a sequence in it that was just horrendously hard, which was they had built a cage on stage. And you had to crawl up around over the cage, hang on the cage sideways. So your lower arm and your leg hooked was holding your body weight up sideways in a pose <laughs> for somebody else's dialogue, which was probably five or 10 minutes. It was a huge thing. Oh. And then you had to get from that and climb out of that as the insect in the same shape, same thing, and climb up the cage, over the cage, through the cage, jump down. Whoa. scuttle forward I think and then step up into human and really and then deliver a monologue as if your your breath and your delivery was as if your heart rate is not <laughs> <Yeah. jacked. laughs> and your body exploding yeah, if it yeah. can hold it together at all and again I'm not uh, a physical specimen I'm not an athlete like Dan I know you're, you're a big athlete um, I'm not and uh, that was incredibly hard work to get to that place hmm. of just being just being extremely mediocre. <laughs> That's so was that, uh, was that your second or third stint in Prague? That was the same stint. It was we only okay. went over for three months. The the translations play was such an enormous success 
it sold out completely. We extended it, I think, and and then toured it a little bit while we were there. And then we were asked to to hang on and do uh, Metamorphosis, which was it was a similar cast. It was a couple of cast changes, but and I think another Irish actor was brought over as well. Uh, yeah, we worked on that for for a while. It was great. Interesting. I mean, that's like there's. I don't think there's a better metaphor and story for being transformed into something dark and then having to realize it. Yeah. And then live the consequences. Yeah. That's very interesting. Imagine the things that Tom did to himself to get into that character. (laughs) (laughs) Spray yourself with bug spray. A lot of of that energy was spent just running, training, just immense amount of work. Yeah. It's a huge, it's a huge observation and value, uh, at least that I've come across in my life is, um, is uh, metabolizing the darkness of life, you mm-hmm. know, and not, you know, smashing it down, but letting it live, letting it breathe and doing so in a way that is uh, in communication with respectful, uh, respectful of n- normal everyday life and other people and other parts of yourself that, you know, would be harmed by that. And it's a, uh, Art, obviously, I'm not saying anything new, you know, is probably the number one way to do that and probably why stories exist uh, in general, you know, so as for us to taste, get close to and feel and to embody those as an actor, you know, that's just uh, I I have a pipe dream to be a legitimate, like put time into it and actually do it for real at, at some point in my life. And I don't know if I'll ever get to it, you know. I've tried, but I just, I've always felt that that would be the number one way to get in contact with that in the purest form would be to really be it other than going out and like, you know, killing people and doing all the terrible things that stories are about, you know, to actually just play them. And I just, and you, and you're there, man, you've done it. And you speak in that language too. You're like, I love the darkness. I love this. Yeah. I mean, I think it's certainly that, that play Toyer, which was the, when I read the first time I read that, it took me a long time to get a hold of it because I found it in a source book and I couldn't get the play. The play wasn't in Ireland, uh, but Trinity College in Dublin uh, boasts that they have every a copy of every published book in the world kind of thing within the Trinity Library uh, or they can reach out for it. And I, somebody was able to get it for me, this particular play. And uh, I remember the first night I read it, I was away uh i'd gotten a tiny little acting job uh on on something and they, they were putting me up in a hotel it was all woohoo isn't this this is the glamour uh and i read the play from front cover to cover and i was in tears i was crying with excitement just couldn't believe how special this play was to me because of what i felt it offered me as an opportunity as a challenge um and yeah, it, it, it did end up being very important to me. What was it like? I remember. What was it like after you performed that play? Did, did it feel like like a, a a big exit of all of that energy? I find for myself that I'll have like a you know a period of time in my life where there's great success, there's great flow. And then afterwards, it's a bit like a spiritual hangover, emotional Absolutely. hangover. Yeah, it? It, it can be exhausting after it. And I think I, I'm pretty sure, certainly the first time we did that play, it was a couple of weeks of a run. 
Uh, I was also producing it, uh, doing all of the publicity for it, acting in it, uh, you know, working with everybody involved. And I think I was getting three or four hours sleep a night and just able to do that at the time in my uh, mid-20s, early 20s. So by the time the show came down and we finished it and it was a critical success, um, the papers all said nice things, all that kind of stuff. Didn't get a huge audience because I didn't know how to publicize. I got everyone I knew to come and see it. But, it, you know, it wasn't enormous. I think by the end of the two weeks, actually, it was gathering momentum. But we didn't, we, you know, we, we had no further plans. So that was it. And um, we're coming off stage at the end of the play, knowing. And that's the wonderful thing about theater, which is something I, I really need to get back to. But knowing that the audience got it, you know, they were with you because of the, during the silence, it was really uncomfortable. And it was weird. And during the funny moments, it was hilarious. And during the sexual tension moments, you could feel it in the room. I, I, I knew all, and that's what it was. I mean, as much as it was an opportunity to play this dark character, it was knowing, and I felt that the play brought you to such, it brought you to a number of different places. And the most difficult job for an actor is to convince an audience that you're anybody. And in this particular play, you had to convince an audience that you were four different people. And that didn't just require my performance. It required a very genuine and uh, very special performance from the actress playing opposite me, who would have, you know, we'd have to be able to make this thing work. And it was incredibly difficult. And I, yeah, so coming off the end of it, it was not, yeah, there was nothing dark within it at all, actually. Yeah. And if anything, just like, uh, who was it? John Krasinski talks about that horror movie he made, that it was a, he made it oh, as silence. a, yeah, he, he yeah. made it as a, uh, uh, of showing uh, how much he loves his kids. I mean, it, it was such a dark, dark piece, but it's about being a, parent being a father being a, yeah. a mother you know trying everything you possibly can and throwing yourself in front of whatever the thing is for them to live uh and it is it, that, that film has that quality to it well this play to me actually did shine for me it, it, it shone on the power and the uh intricacies and the 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 humanity and the elements of a woman. Although a lot of the play is about this man's over his power over this woman, how he can manipulate her in the end, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, there's a different outcome at the end. And I think it, it, it shows that quality in, in, in that, in that play. So that that's was interesting. Something. It's interesting too, Tom, because in knowing you, you know, you've talked a lot about doing that play again and got very close last year to pulling the trigger on that. Yeah. And um, I just that it's kind of like that, that a play you've already done and 20 years uh, uh, ago is something that you'd still like to do again. Why is it so strong with you, do you think? Um, I think it's possibly that there's a part of me that goes, I know that piece. Maybe there's a part of me that wants to relive that to re to reignite my love and confidence within that within the acting world. Um, it's certainly a song that I learned and could recite in a sense, uh, knowing knowing all the little movements within it, uh, and and possibly as well even to look at it from 
from a different perspective. Um, the character isn't written from my age. He's much younger. And I think that's probably more effective in that role. But yeah, it was certain for me, it was, this is something I'd like to revisit. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. When I was young, I used to, I, I couldn't understand why someone who served like a few years in the military would spend their rest of their life uh, remembering it and talking about it and reminiscing right. about it. And, and now that I'm, you know, an adult, 40 years old, it's like, oh, because that's such a powerful experience, because it's so traumatic, emotive, physical, purposeful. Mm-hmm. Um, you, of course, your brain wants to return to it. Of course it does. Of course, your body and nervous system want to go back to it. I'm, I would imagine it would be a similar experience for you with this play that, that yeah. uh, you, were, you were in a heightened state. You were, you were not only an actor, actor in it, you were leading it. You were leading the effort in so, so many parts of it. And it created an imprint in your brain of that was success on some level, right? Uh, Absolutely. Whether people came or, you know, whether it was um, a long run or not, it doesn't matter because it was still impactful yeah. to you. Yeah, looking back, I mean, it's obviously you wanted people to see it and you wanted people, and certainly with the workload yeah. that went into it and just my love of it. But I remember one night, there was only two of us on stage. There were two people in the audience and we had a choice and they were just as they were nice about it. I think that someone came back to us backstage and said, look, they're willing to come another night. Mm. And I said, no, no, they're going to get the full show. And <laughs> you know, this would be, I mean, we'd, I think we'd run it a few nights at that stage. It was yeah. probably just a quiet Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it was in week one. And well, we gave them the full show and <laughs> it was, I'm sure it was just as, it was very uncomfortable <laughs> more ways than normal, but maybe that did fit the theme of the play anyway. But I remember doing that going, no, this is, we, that's not the thing. you know, that w- whether we have the big audience or the thing and the money element, it was, yeah. Was, you know, yeah, I bet. I, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I bet that was a special experience for them. I had a similar experience with a play one time. It was a really cool play called um, an empty plate at the cafe du grand bouffe. Mm-hmm. And, um, Long story short, we had gone through our whole rehearsal process and two of my friends from Alaska just happened to be driving through town um, here in Chico. And and I hadn't seen them for years. And they were like, hey, we're in town. And they had a little kid and they were a couple, right? And and I was, we were doing our dress rehearsal. And so they were in town and needed and wanted to stay at my house. And I was in dress rehearsal and I was I asked the director, hey, can a couple of my friends come and watch? It's already a dress rehearsal. And he goes, sure. And they came in and sat in the front row and watched a play that was seemingly just for them. And they talk about that every time I see them. And it's 10 years and it's 15 years later now. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. So I was going to say, I bet those, those two folks were like delighted. <laughs> to have yeah. Except it was that. a, it was a really fun comedy play. It wasn't like fucking serial <laughs> mamists and <laughs> the most manipulative character you've ever heard in your life. I've read the they had to go get ice cream after ten. that. oh man that's amazing uh tom now how did you end up in the united states um so siobhan and i had met back back in the day when i was in college and uh i was uh working at a restaurant in dublin um siobhan my wife's older sister 
my sister-in-law Katie had come to Ireland uh, to take a year off from from education and uh, to have a year of experience and was having it in Dublin and she ended up working at the restaurant that I was working at while being in drama school and we became friends uh, there was a whole bunch of us who worked there we were all good mates and somehow stayed in touch she uh she went back to America uh and got married and one day while so my obviously my life continuing in Ireland then developed all these things and then I got into the TV show I was doing the TV show and uh was really enjoying it uh certainly at the time yeah at the time I was I was renting a house in Dublin it was this it was this house that was had this legal battle going on so it wasn't really meant to be lived in I think but there was a big legal battle between family members and this other person and the other person who had legal rights to it at the time wanted somebody in there so we I'd stay there and pay a nominal cash fee to her and uh and it was just a massive house in this very exclusive part of Dublin and same time I was on the TV show I was doing all these things so it was very unique for me uh, and then I got this email from Siobhan's sister my wife's sister saying that her younger sister was coming to Ireland to study at Trinity College for nine months if it's possible for you to meet her and just show her around Dublin that'd be great uh, <laughs> and at the time I was living in this house that was a five bedroom house by myself uh, its own gardens had a gardener it had just six rooms downstairs. It was this huge thing that I lived in. And I said back a message saying, oh, that's great. Well, actually, you know what? She could come and live here if she wants. I'm, I'm just here by myself. Uh, and she got back straight away saying, yes, that's great. So, uh, and I had a girlfriend at the time. And um, uh, the weekend Siobhan came in, I, my girlfriend was away at the time and Siobhan flew into Dublin. I went and picked her up. And the moment, I, I knew I'd always, I'd met, I'd met, I'd met, Siobhan, I'd met the three sisters, Siobhan, Maura and Katie. And they all had a very special quality to them. They all had sunshine just glowing off them. Just really interesting people, fun, um, warm people. So I knew that, I knew that it would be really nice if, you know, I'm sure her, I'm sure Katie's sister would be great. Uh, but when she came, when I met her at the airport, it was instant, just, wow, this person's just, and I was in the TV game and I was, geez, and I didn't, I think I was great. And she arrived in, but it was just, oh, this person's awesome. So, and it was nothing else than that initially anyway, it was just this yeah. kind of cool. And yeah, I had an old Toyota Corolla, I picked her up at the airport and drove her back. And I remember she got into the car and she took her boots off her cowboy boots whatever she was wearing and putting stocking feet up on the dashboard while I was driving and who the hell is this human being um and that developed very quickly that relationship we were in the house together and I, I remember that weekend I think I brought her out for uh we went downtown for a drink and went around a few bars show her off you know show her Dublin and we ended up staying up really late that night lit a fire drank another bottle of wine ended up being in a screaming argument about the fact that she would never live with a person she was going to marry. And I thought that was absolute nonsense. 
that was a massive <laughs> scrap. Yeah, and that was all of this happened like straight off the bat. It was ridiculous. Twelve hours in. <laughs> yeah, it was mental. It was mental. And also, actually, earlier in the day, she arrived. She like you know, this is your room, blood yada. I've got things to do, and she came down to me with a card. <laughs> a business card that was from the restaurant I'd worked in 10 years previous with her sister. Mm. And I'd written my mother's phone number on it. I don't know what the use it was. I was, yeah. I, I was trying to be, listen, if anything happens, because she was, when I, I, I'd had, I'd met her 10 years previous. She must've been 17. I was probably 23. Uh, and I, I think I said, listen, if you're ever stuck, whatever's happening, you're in Ireland, nobody has cell phones. There's none of that stuff here's my mother's number. If you ever get stuck, I need a number. Here it is. Mm. I call this number and it'll get to me somehow, uh, you know, but she was very uh, adventurous even at a, as a younger person. Um, but she came downstairs with this business card from 10 years previous that she'd held on to and said, I got this. Ah, place. Amazing. Amazing. That's interesting. Anyway, all that stuff happened quickly. And, uh, and another one of these spiritual things that happened to mm. me like the almost the opposite of what we talked about in Prague was I was walking home to the house in Dartry one day and I was just thinking, I think Siobhan was coming in a few days and I had this thought in my head, Oh Jesus, this place is not clean enough. I better go and make sure that it's, you know, it's clean and tidy, et cetera. And I had, as I was walking, it was as if a voice said to me, but it was deeper than that. It was, it was a feeling almost more than a voice just said, everything's going to be okay. Interesting. Everything's going to be okay. And it was a profound statement and feeling. Like, and I'm very, and I noticed it. I was going, yeah. Strange. That's very strange. That's weird. Were, were you going through a time of, of uh, difficulty at all? No, not at all. Interesting. I was joining the show. I was doing my thing. I was earning good money, which has yeah. never happened before. I was living in this uh, house. All, everything was, Everything was rosy. I had yeah. a lovely girlfriend at the time, yeah. and it was just everything's going to be okay. That's and it was, great. Wow, that's weird. And uh, yeah, that carried that's carried with me all this way too. That's probably um, something a lot of people need to hear right now. Everything's yeah, going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. Whether it was an angel or a thing, I don't know what it was, yeah. but it was something saying, hmm. "No, interesting." Okay. Um, so, so now you're a, a pub owner, which is. Um, yeah. Seems like the most obvious thing you could do coming to America is to of open course. an Irish pub. Yeah, we exactly. need like there's never a lack of them, and <laughs> and they're all and they always do well. And you've you've been really active here in Portland as COVID's happened, and yeah. speaking out for business owners and in the restaurant world and all that. What seems like that's been some soul work for you a little bit. What Daniel's told me about it's like you really stepped into a space where people needed leadership. And needed to hear exactly what you just said. Everything's going to be okay. And, and really saying like, something's got to change. Tell me a little bit about that work. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been obviously a very difficult year. Uh, and in a lot of cases, businesses just haven't, or just made, made a very, probably a very smart decision to go. We're either freezing our business or shutting down our business f- yeah. for good, because we cannot see, we cannot see the profit line. Now, Maybe in my case, I'm not that smart. Uh, and certainly for me, the bar uh, is, ne- it never was just a business. I mean, that's yeah. probably part of it. Uh, again, it's maybe, I don't know if it's from an acting profession or from uh, 
being an uns- always loving you know, a group thing, an ensemble thing, people coming together, uh, whether performing in front of them or being part of a group. Uh, it's the one thing I learned out of the four years we've had a business. That is our strongest element. Mm. Um, I think our food is good. Our drinks are good. All is good. You know, we've got some great stuff in there to sell. But that's not my forte. My forte is coming together with people and stories and history and hopefully an element of authenticity, which is uh, certainly we were looking for investment and for help to open the business. People were saying, like you're saying, there's lots of Irish bars and a lot of them do well. But there's, there's, it's almost like there's, you could say it's almost like there's too many of them. Why would you want to open another one? But I've been into a lot of bars. I've been into a lot of American Irish bars or Irish bars that claim yeah. that they're Irish bars or whatever it is, and they don't have soul. They don't have spirit, whatever that is. And whether it's a family element or what the welcoming is, the charm, the, the sense of humor, whatever those elements are. And I found it very hard to put my finger on what they were when people were asking me to give them a business model. I'm saying I know what it is. Yeah. But it's very hard to say what it is. And I think in the four years of business, and certainly when we came into COVID, we had developed a lot of that spirit mm. uh, to a point where a lot of customers were saying, listen, you're a vital part of our community. Mm. Uh, we, we, we really, and almost aggressively in some cases, we don't want to see our business go down. Mm. We don't want to see it. It's very important to us. What do you mean aggressively? Like saying, this is... There's no effing way. Oh, like they're pissed. Way. That's awesome. There's no effing way, like emotionally. Yeah. This is so important. Your, your business is important to us. So we, we have to, we, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to keep going. So a lot of what kept me going was the spirit and soul of the bar and, and uh, how in four years we've become, I, I think we've become a very stable part of that community. Um, Ronald, there's a kind of a cool little story. There's two little parts to it um, about, that I know and experience with the genesis of Tom's bar. And first is there's this move little documentary, a couple of American blokes did. I think it's called the little Irish pub. Is that correct, Tom? Yeah. I think it's called the Irish, the Irish pub. Yeah. Irish pub. Yeah. And Tom gave, uh, when we met, Tom gave me a copy of this and I watched it and I was just about to go to Ireland for just for a few weeks with my mom and a friend. And I ended up writing down all the names of these pubs that I, from that um from that documentary and then when we were traveling around whenever we were in town that had one i would go and visit it Mm. and so i bounced around all these pubs that were from this documentary and really got a sense of what he was talking about and his vision is and correct me if i'm wrong tom but was to literally recreate an irish pub as as a a little irish pub would be in ireland with all of the cultural and and the ethos uh, that surrounds that here in America and obviously a, a pretty different environment. And yeah. just having experienced several of those pubs and watched you for four years now do it, it's it's almost um, unbelievable the amount of effort that, that that took out of you and has continued to take. But it was like every day, I remember for months and months and months, well, for years, um, and then maybe it was a year or two in, I, I felt like at least from my perspective that you took a day off. And then you could were able to build in eventually that, and you know, good things take a long time to to be created. Oftentimes, and it 
the push that you've made to create what you've created and seeing the results, it's exactly what we're interested in in this and with this podcast. And what I'm interested in people in general is truly birthing something and creating something in your case, creating something that's far bigger than yourself or even your family. Hmm. It's been a real honor and amazing to watch. Thank you very much. Yeah. And it is that it, it becomes, it's a funny one because, and certainly initially, from a practical perspective, the idea of what we'd call it, or if we'd give it a theme, uh, we had a few other theme ideas that we'd use. Uh, but in the end, and thanks to Siobhan, uh, the idea was, no, let's just put your name over the door. Nobody can argue with that theme. With the two <laughs> initials. That's right. Cause that's the, the Irish pub. That's what that whole um, documentary was about. Every pub in that, if I'm, if memory serves, it's the first two initials and the last name of the pub owner. That's the name of the pub in every case. Yeah, and I think certainly in Irish bars where they're two or three generations old, right? That you that it would be the son of that person, and they may add an initial so that they, you know, that the 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 proprietor becomes somebody else, you know, that that, or else there could be two feuding brothers with different bars in the same town, hmm. <laughs> Ron, the uh, same name, but they have to add an initial. Um, Tom, Tom, do you remember when uh, you were getting funding for that, and you were taking a private lesson with um with yes at the time i was in martial arts and it was with our instructor who came up he just happened to be in town so we do a private lesson with our instructor and tom and i are sparring and i popped him a little bit or someone popped him fuck i do i don't think we remember how you got popped and i think that the thing we landed on was that you punched yourself somehow but (laughs) but he ended up getting a shiner like a pretty good black guy and it was the meat the lesson was right before he was meeting with potential financiers yeah. and he, he went in and he said he crushed that meeting. He just like wore the black eye. Yeah. That's I think beautiful. it helped. I think it helped. Oh, this guy's a fighter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I spent a lot of time in pubs in England and, um, I, Dublin was the only place I went to where I walked in and I don't know what time of night it was. It must have been December time. It was winter. And I and I was just trying to find that pub that you were just describing. Right. And I could hear music from the street. I walked in and it was th- there's no way even a movie could recreate this. It was uh everyone was sitting in a circle, you know, on the walls, on the tables. Um and they were singing of all things uh uh, a John Denver song. Yeah, <laughs> there was probably four guitars playing. They're singing "Country Road," "Take Me Home," uh, at the top of their lungs, the whole bar, and it seemed like at least half the people in there were crying as they were singing it. So I just stayed. <laughs> I was like, "This is this is where I need to be," and they just and the, and the music just kept coming, coming, coming. It was beautiful. Uh, and I never saw that. I like what I, I was kind of disappointed when I moved to England and was like, Oh, there's video poker machines in here. And that doesn't seem very public right. to me. And, and it just felt like, I don't know. I don't know what didn't, didn't feel it, but that's cool. Yeah. I liked it. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, and that's part of what, part of what I think really worked for us as well is, and we didn't realize it uh, again, but part of my past, my, my dad, you know, unfortunately died young, but he was, he enjoyed a drink. He loved a bar and he was a great singer. He was a lovely singer, mm. kind of like a Welsh tenor, had a beautiful voice. And he had the kind of voice that, and certainly in his time in pubs, 
up until his death, it was the fashion in Ireland that people would break into song. And a bar would, uh, uh, you know, the whole night could turn into song. And it was the entertainment. You know, the TV wasn't yeah. as big a thing, the sports thing. You had to go to a game if you wanted to watch a game, certainly in Ireland, more so. And so part of the entertainment was somebody being able to sing in a pub. And mm-hmm. he, has a, he grew up with that. So uh, that was something I knew and something uh, that was obviously a big part of my past. And when we when we started getting music into the bar, it, it definitely reinforced the identity and the funny thing is we had very few actual irish born singers and people involved like michael steen who uh is american of irish heritage but uh himself and the group called the lads who play at the bar uh all of which none of them are irish heritage but they all play irish music and have brought this wonderful authentic musical feel to the bar and Michael Steen's Night of Song Ihana Hauran uh, certainly reinforces that experience that you're talking about that you had in Dublin and it would his Night of Song is a night where everybody is singing and everybody is part of it whether they're actually Tom, getting up themselves to sing or singing with him you know? Tom one of my favorite parts about your story <clears throat> uh, is and and that has led to at least from my perspective how you have become more of a fixture in even than you were having COVID haven't happened. Like you're now kind of, I, I see you kind of as a leader in the, like support your restaurants and fucking keep your doors open world that has come out of the last year. And one part that I, I love that happened is that is when fair city came back around in your life because of the pub. And uh, I don't think Ronald well, great, knows this, yeah. but it's great. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, I had left the show. I did six years on the show. And then Siobhan and I, uh, I think five years in from the show, Siobhan and I got married and we lived in Ireland for a year while I was still working on the show. And the plan was to move to the United States. So uh, Siobhan worked in education in Ireland. And then uh, I went to the executive producers of the TV show and said, look, I'm I'm moving, I'm leaving the show. uh, uh, And I'll give you a year's notice. Uh, to figure that out. And they were brilliant. They came up with an amazing storyline that my character ended up, uh, as my character was a doctor in the show. So it was a good role to have. I was involved in a lot of different stories from other characters and that kind of thing. Uh, and, um, but what was going to happen was the brother, uh, the brother-in-law was coming back into the show. He was very successful in the show for years. Wonderful actor. And his character was was very strong, but they actually they cast a new actor who was also an exceptional actor to come in and play the brother coming back. And the thing was that my character came into the show because my wife was having an incestual affair with her brother. They'd never met, and then they came together. <laughs> they met in some social scene, and they fell in love. And then they found out that they were brother and sister. They had this incestual affair in the show, and it was enormous for the show. And then the characters were written out. He, that guy was leaving the show at the time. So he left the show and she left the show in, dis, you know, in disgrace, moved to London, found my character and came back into the show with my character as the doctor, uh, which worked uh, reasonably well, I think, in the show. Uh, so then for, my, for me leaving the show, the idea was that he was returning to the show to get her back. Uh, and... It was a brilliant story because it was about he had a brain tumor in the show. He came back with a really uh, serious illness. He was hiding that. 
the two of them got together again. So she left my character and then he, he knew he, he didn't tell her how unhealthy he was, but he came to me to ask me to, to finish his life. So my the doctor character ended up injecting him and his, his life ended. And then my story continued for a little while, but then I, my character was up for manslaughter because it's not legal in Ireland. Euthanasia. But so it is then, in Oregon. <laughs> it is in Oregon. And I've told the guys on the show. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's how the story unfolded. And then because she was so upset, she ended up triggering it. And then my character got caught and was brought to justice over it, but then escaped. So my character escaped the show, left Ireland. And my character has been living in Brazil ever since because there's no <laughs> extradition laws. Awesome. Oh, perfect. Oh, perfect. I love it. Ended up, and I was happy to go. And uh, that was great. And uh, I moved with Siobhan to New York City. We lived in New York City for two years, moved to Los Angeles for three years, and have been here for six years. Mm-hmm. And then we, after we got here uh, and we just opened the bar, we were literally open a few months, and we were, I was doing those kind of hours, those crazy hours. And the TV show, uh, an email was picked up by my manager at the time who was managing the bar with us, saying that this, this RTE, whatever that is, is looking for you for some reason. And that was the, that's the, the cable TV channel in, uh, the channel in Ireland that was looking for me. And they couldn't find me. And I hadn't, my, I'd left my agent in Ireland. And I, I obviously, it was, it was difficult. But they found T.C. O'Leary's Irish pub in Portland, Oregon, and came looking for me. And that's, yeah, that's how I ended up going back. And then you ended up like, oh. Sorry, sorry. Just no, that's okay. That's okay. I love uh, Ronald. It's great because, um, well, okay, you're back. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he like, if he hadn't opened the bar, it doesn't sound like they would have found him. You know what I mean? And just to lose your, like not lose, but have it leave your passion. Cause I, you can tell he was so, it's such a huge yeah. part of his life and then do something completely different and then have that completely different thing, start to wrap that other thing back into its life, which as he tells the rest of the story, like it's continued, they've brought him back more than once, you know, and fly his whole family over for like three weeks and he acts on the show. And then the part, the bar community kind of gets into it. And, and, um, as I understand it, the, uh, you know, Portland kind of caught wind of this and started the news um, news program started in uh, interviewing him about it, and it kind of became a thing. And then it's it's like that's become the, his platform for being the spokesperson that he is now. You know what I mean? What's the name of his character on the show? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. In fact, I've tried to watch it, uh-huh. and I think there's stuff out there now. But um, are you looking for it? Yeah, I would, I would love to see a scene. I've never even seen a scene. What was the He's name of your character the on the show? Uh, Dr. Oh. Brendan Daly. Dr. Brendan Daly. Not a doctor, <laughs> but I play one on TV. Absolutely, absolutely. I was just telling him, uh, Tom, that you ended up going back a couple of times over the years. They brought you a couple of times. They wrote your character yeah, back in. And... That's right, and that was fun. Oh, it was, it's always been a nice one to come back to because, my again, uh, with that show, I mean, that show is such an enormous achievement. It's an incredible achievement. They put out 
at best, I mean, before COVID, certainly four episodes a week. That's Isn't it the longest running television show in like the in world? In Ireland, probably. In it's Ireland, okay. Over 30 years now, I would think. Uh, but it is, I mean, they, the show runs would, would run four episodes a week and they're running uh, half hour episodes. It's, yeah, it's, it's two hours of it. It's like a, a long movie every week of the year. They, they, they produce this stuff. And the quality is as good as they can do. You know, it's 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 a, an extremely hard thing to do. Um, so it was great experience. It was great camera experience and all that kind of thing for me. Um, and to go back to it was great because they're writing in my character trying to sneak into Ireland to f- get involved in whatever turmoil or craziness that the other <laughs> characters, my character, my circle of characters involved in. Uh, and then they fire me back out again before the cops can get me. So it's been brilliant. And each time I've gone back with a full beard and, and trying to hide and do all this kind of stuff, it's great fun. I, I loved it uh, going back a couple of times. Yeah. And then they, this year, they did for, it was the first time on the show, actually, they did like this before COVID. It was last year, actually, bef- uh, during uh, 19. Uh, they started doing video conferencing scenes. So, which was wonderful. I could, I was, I oh. shot them from here. I was sitting here at this, at this desk. And, uh, so they would send me the, the full scene of dialogue. I had to figure out how to time in the responses of, uh, the people I'm talking to and then record the full scene on my phone or on whatever uh, quality thing I had. And then I'd send that back to them and then they would play that live on the studio floor on a computer then the other person would act into it. So they'd record the two sides of it that way. I feel like I've got a TV bender about to start for myself when I find, yeah. find this show. <laughs> That's great. Well, and, then, and then it's, uh, uh, so that kind of fed into doing a little bit more what you, what you love to, or uh, what you love to do that, that you sacrificed to do to the pub. Um, and then you, we did that play together in the yes. pub. That was an amazing experience. That was fantastic. And, and then most recently, your work with uh, the brothers. What are their names again? Uh, Finley and Quinn. This is, those are, yeah, that's been amazing too. And I would love to kind of hear that as, before we, we lose you here. Um, because those little short movie or short clips you're doing are hilarious and really high quality. And yeah, I'd so. Love that that was a case of those guys. I mean, the, O'Leary's pub is their pub, and that was great. Uh, uh, that you know, people people it, O'Leary's becomes you know their 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 thing. They they kind of embrace it, and they were doing that. And uh, I would end up having conversations with them a few times, and then they would have dropped the fact that one of them worked in the studio here, or whatever. You know, we're around the industry, are very creative guys. And then I think looks for Leica or something, right? What's that? He like works, a, yeah, 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 yeah. Finley works uh, for Leica, and Quinn is an incredibly talented uh, artist, musician, uh, pa- painter as well, uh, writer of stuff, stuff. Yeah, so they're, they're both just, and they've spent their lives, they have a very, their own life story is going to be very interesting when they portray it or, or however they want to release that. But they, they have an incredible story I won't go into, but they're identical twins. Uh, and they've had a, a very, uh, they've had a very 
interesting life to this point. But the one thing they have done all their lives is shared this experience and they've grown up together around a camera at a very young age. Uh, and it's just natural to them, like breathing, uh, producing these pieces. So we came together initially because I wanted to do, uh, COVID happened. We were going to open uh, for dine-in or dine-outside or dine, whatever it was. And we needed to try this ordering from your phone thing. So I, it was a tiny little project where I went, uh, if you guys could help us, we'll do a voiceover and you can take that and then put it together with some instruction on how to order at T.C. O'Leary's pub. And he came back in record time. <laughs> like he came back within a day less. I don't know what it was. I said, yeah, it's done. Here it is. So I knew, oh, right. This, these guys are incredible. They produce, uh, they turn over stuff really quickly. They absolutely adore it. Uh, and they're incredibly talented guys. So, yeah, they come back within a day with this professionally finished pretty much. Uh, and you still, it's what we have at the bar now. There's two little QR codes. One is for instructions on what, how to order, and that's what they did. And then the second one is the menu. Anyway, so that happened. And then we got talking more. And I, my daughter was watching a show. I'm not sure if it's the same for you, Ron, but my daughter at age seven, uh, you know, She's uh, an only child, which I think is hard on hard on her. Uh, she doesn't have a, the company of another sibling, so she she started enjoying watching this YouTube channel where there's a family with five kids, and watching it for a little bit, and you're going realizing that they have something like 20 million sub- subscribers. The audience for this YouTube thing is enormous. And what's the quality? What is it? What's, what, what is it about? Well, it's actually just that family doing stuff. They're obviously a very smart family as well. They're able to involve uh, their uh, family, uh, c- probably connecting to a lot of different kids, toys and things and going to Disneyland. Like so, so they're able to use what they have developed as a very natural, wonderful family and, and got a lot of products behind them and that kind of thing. So they're, they're very clever. Uh, and from my perspective, I was going, well, how do you do that during COVID uh, for a bar? Like if, if, if our bar has that quality, if it has that kind of that the soul and the, and, and the people and the, and the thing, how can we bring that to uh, an audience? How do we bring it out to an audience? And knowing their quality, that the, the Mulligan brothers, what they could do on film, we just started seeing if we could put something together. So we started making these videos uh, and for, like from the first day of of shooting with those guys, since Quinn is in, he's such a natural comic talent. He's incredible. Uh, well, on how to how pour how to pour a Guinness is hilarious. Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, several of them are, but that was brilliant. And <laughs> the most recent one we did actually, which uh, the delivery, I think it is, it was when we started doing delivery and uh, the fish and chips thing. But these guys. Between, uh, they do everything. I mean, they're, they're lighting it, they're directing it, they're writing what we need to write, uh, they're acting in it and doing all the pieces. So it's 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 an absolute joy for us to have their uh, involvement. And it's like T.C. O'Leary needs a reality show on YouTube. <laughs> well, that's the I thing. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> and that's what I was trying to talk to the guy. That's what, so... All of this work that we've done so far has certainly shown uh, their excellence and uh, shown that they can do what's very difficult to do. Comedy is very difficult to do uh, to write skits and make them work. And those guys have that in in uh, in abundance. My move would be to do what attracts my daughter to those shows that she watches, which is to be able to have 
I like this, a wonderful conversation where we'd have a few people sitting around a table, whatever, whether it's COVID or non, or not COVID, probably better if it's not, but literally to be able to record a bar conversation as the drinks, you know, as we drink yeah. a few more, as we loosen up, wherever it goes, and be able to edit that down and to be able to put out, like my, my goal would be that once a week we have this impromptu, hmm. uh, proper conversation, open wide, and people around the world connect to TCO Leary's pub and they go, I love those characters. Do you know your man? Because they, yeah. they, they're not... They're not developed characters in any sense. They're not creatively developed. They're just the people of the pub. And uh, I love them. I love these characters. I love the customers of our pub. And I don't see why that wouldn't be uh, incredibly fun and interesting uh, for people. Just get get some COVID tests and start it. (laughs) Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, the the danger with it is, or not the danger, but my risk element would be, I don't want to make people interesting like a reality show. It's not that. Mm. I don't want to create that environment. Yeah. Uh, it's not looking for drama. It's none of that. It's actually just, it's the Seinfeld <laughs> of Irish pub situations. Nothing. It's not happened. nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's not nothing, but it's not <laughs> just people. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. I'd watch that. It could be fun. It could be yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, and once you get it started, we need to have you back. That's what we need. Absolutely. To I yeah. love that. Love well, Tom, you've been so generous with your time today. I really appreciate it. And, uh, those people, so we can, f- do you have a, like a YouTube channel? How do we find those? T.C. O'Leary's YouTube channel. T.C. Yeah. O'Leary's. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Tom O'Leary, you're a beautiful man. You're a dangerous man, it sounds like, a martial artist. And uh, uh, a talented, Mostly talented to himself. Dramatist. <laughs> uh, and the pub, and the pubs, uh, the pubs in Northeast Alberta, I don't even think we said that, but that's probably important. Don't you yeah. think? It's kind of useful. Yeah, I've been there. It's, it's beautiful. As a non-drinker, it's a good pub. I like going to. It's beautiful. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks, John. Well, Thanks, great. Tom. Thank you, guys. Yeah. I appreciate it. And um, you know, best of luck to you, Tom. I can't wait to go binge watch. Uh, what's the name of the show again? Oh, oh, Fair City. Fair City. Fair City. I'm gonna watch all 30 years of it in like a weekend. <laughs> uh, and all I want is the next time you come on, you're telling that ghost story. It's a good one. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Next time, man. Okay. I'll do it. Absolutely. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Right, welcome to the Field Dressing. Today, we interviewed Tom O'Leary, the proprietor, O'Leary. owner, operator of T.C. O'Leary's Maybe yeah, I learned, favorite I uh, Irish pub. Authentic yeah. Irish pub. Definitely. You said you've been in there, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty good. He has a big wall on one side, uh, the main wall, you mm-hmm. know, like the wall. Everything else is kind of a wall. It's covered with stuff. It's got pub things on it. What like has some function, but this main wall that stretches the entire length of the thing. And the only thing that's on it is a huge picture wall. And it's all black and white framed pictures of his family and people who associated with the bars family. And over the years, it's grown to where if you do something kind of special, he'll, he'll say, all right, put a, put a picture on the wall. You know what I mean? (laughs) And the last time I was hanging out with him, we were playing snooker and he was like, he just totally casually, he just goes, well, you, you should, you should get a picture up, up there, Daniel. 
why don't you bring me a picture? And it was such a throwaway little moment, but in the in my inner world, I was like, oh, God, uh, I, I get a picture it. on the wall. I made it. <laughs> <laughs> I it was cool. <laughs> I mean, I grew up, I mean, I, I grew up in a small town, first of all, and then went, went to the burbs, like the burb of the burbs in Dallas is like, you know, my teens, late teens. And we were going to like Bennigan's. Remember, did you ever go to Bennigan's growing up? You know nah, what those are? Nah, nah, nah. Never oh, Okay, never good. I'm it. glad you've never heard of it. It's a, <laughs> it's like a chain Irish restaurant. Like, oh, it sounds lovely. It's, it's. <laughs> I don't even know if they're in business anymore, but they, but it has that kind of like. There's pictures on the wall, and you look at it like, who the fuck are these people? And but you, oh. it wants it wants you know you want to feel that way. No, and, yeah, no, that's, that's cool. But it's the real deal in in Tom's place for sure. Like yeah. it's and and you know what is cool. I did a drawing for him as a surprise one time. Hmm. Well, I was in a dart tournament and so I'd never done a dart tournament. He texts me in the morning. Hey man, can you come down for a dart tournament? I was like, sure. I go there, bring my Wait, notepad. Hold on, time out, time out a second. What? You've never been in a dart tournament as if you're, you're proficient enough with darts that you would even consider. Like, I don't, I've never well, met anybody who's like, <laughs> What are you? Are you? Are you like at a dart league? As much as I'd like to tease that one out and kind of root around in how I may or may not be a, a dart aficionado, like anyone can play in this dart tournament. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say it was a family dart tournament. Like some of the better players in Portland uh, um, come out for it, you know. But anyways, he, he invites me out. I show up and. Long story short, it starts at eight in the morning, Ron, at the pub, eight in the morning, and it ends at like eight at night. You're there all day. If you're like me, you're there all day. Some people would come and go. Do people drink all day and play darts? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's part of it. You, it's like pool, you know, you got your sweet spot. <laughs> the sweet spot with darts. You have one too many drinks and they start yeah. going a little pear-shaped. But so I bring a notebook here and I'm just like, well, fuck it. I'm going to do a drawing while, while I, while I spend the day at the pub. And uh, one thing led to another. I started really getting into the drawing. And by the time the day was done, I was like, oh, this is kind of a sweet drawing. And what I'd done was I, I was drawing a collage of the pub, but part of that collage was drawing a, a little version of every single picture that was on that wall and there's like 30 or 40 and i was and i didn't have time to do it just that day and so i took pictures of the sections of walls and i ended up spending a week on that thing but every single paint or a picture on his wall i have stared at for like 20 or 30 minutes and intricately and detailedly uh recreated it and i ended up giving it to him and he framed it and it's hanging in the pub now that's beautiful (laughs) And I won the loser's bracket of that dart tournament. It was an amazing experience. <laughs> it was I'm a great day. Anything where you can learn the, you could win the loser's bracket. <laughs> I know, man. And you, and I got like almost, I got just as much cash and bounty as the winner of the normal tournament. It was the most unfair situation, but it was awesome. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Anyway, Tom's a great guy. Tom is obviously a great dude. Like, a, I mean, I think that's the, like, I think any, Anybody who's on the path wants to have a rich, as rich of a life as he's had. And, Fuck. Seriously. And, you know, I mean, that's like, it, it's beautiful to see and hear his experience. I've been to the pub. I, you know, I've, I've been an, around enough owner operators of restaurants and to see him, you know, in his element when he, when I visited oh, yeah. there, 
that's oh, yeah. his element. I mean, I think oh, that's, yeah. he's he's creating community is what he's doing over there. More than more uh, clear example of someone creating a, a community out of whatever is in their life in a present moment, and then four years later. I mean, it is a community. Like there are, there are bonds, people cry, people. I've heard so many stories come out of that pub Mm. that just break your heart. It's, it's a special place. Wow. Wow. And then to to sound like, it sounds like, you know, he's got his like own in-house marketing team with Finley and Quinn. Uh, What what did he say their last name was? It was like something very Irish sounding. Oh, it's dang it. I forgot. It's a, but it's a, dang it. It's a, it's a super McDonald's. Anyways, I can't remember. Bummer. Yeah. But those it, guys are legit. One guy's a, an a assistant director at Leica. Like, he spends all day, every day, you know, five days a week or whatever, working out there on movies. And wow. I played snooker with them a, a few weeks ago up in Portland and met them. And, man, those guys are like a one-two punch of just productivity and creativity and humor. It's awesome. The little bits he's they're cranking out for the pub are hilarious. That's awesome. I, I I could see that the you know the reality show about an Irish pub about nothing <laughs> being fantastic. That's pretty idea. good, isn't it? Yeah, a really good idea. I hope that what, that launches. What uh, what struck you about that conversation? What maybe surprised you? Or uh, one was the 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 story of the meeting with the demon. Oh my gosh, man. He opened strong. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. <laughs> I've never I, heard that. It's also interesting. Um, I mean, I've heard similar stories a few times. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Uh, my, I've had some spiritual, what I would call spiritual or psychologically disturbing experience or psychologically scintillating and incredible, but yeah. I have never had the type that you two are talking about. Huh. Yep. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I, I love that um, that's how I started because I think a lot of people are, would be afraid to talk about any anything like that and and um, for good reason because it sounds weird. And I, and I don't tell people my story very often for the very same reason. <laughs> I had a demon sit on my chest and suck the, the life out of me. Like, it, you know. I mean, I, my, my take on that is that more power to you and thanks for sharing because there's some weird shit out there and there's things that we don't understand as humans and that are very disturbing and things that are, are such, you know, like what, 100, 200, 300, 500, a thousand years ago, you explain things that science hasn't explained yet via, you know, magic and, um, you know, these words that are, that are just insubstantial, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And are, are we still doing that? Is that what you and Tom are doing? Maybe I like how he paid a little bit of lip service to like, there's probably a scientific reason for this. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. but I like that people will talk about it more, more normally rather than some big, scary charge thing that that would be an example of pressing it down, you know, and him just freely talking about it, normalizes it, maybe take some charge out of it, build some community around it. And we can get all this stuff out, out into the open more. It kind of sounded like he was okay with it, like with it being either a spiritual experience or a purely right. uh, anatomical uh, atomical a fi- you know physical neurological anatomical, yeah, anatomical right, yeah. experience yeah and, and i had to kind of come to the same same uh conclusion myself from my experience like i don't know i'm okay with it being either i'm not afraid of it anymore i was terrified at the time but i'm not afraid of it anymore yeah. and 
and it's I guess a kind of a form of acceptance to to choose either um you know your mom lives up near Astoria and um my wife and I were the ghost story time um (laughs) were uh visiting up there and we went to this hotel I won't I won't say the name of it because it's kind of a famous hotel up there and we went to our room and we get to, we go to the hallway and we were like, man, it feels weird up here. It feels like a scary, weird place. And we go into our bedroom, we turn the light on and a light bulb explodes like right away. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's just a light bulb. It happens all the time. And Morgan is like freaked out. You know, she's like on guard. Have you ever been around a dog who, who like their, the hair on their back stands up and you're trying yeah. to figure out what's going on? She was in that state. And this was one of those hotels that didn't have a bathroom in the room. It was like one of those really, really old places that has the, the, the shared bathroom down the hall. So she goes and, and she's gone for maybe five minutes, but I think like, this is too long for her. Like I know something's weird. So I go in the hallway and I can hear her banging. As soon as I walk out, I can hear her banging on a door screaming like help let me out help 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 i run down to the bathroom and i and i grab the doorknob and i open the door and she's on her hands and knees and on the inside of the bathroom because the bathroom door opened to the outside like towards the hallway yeah she had pulled the doorknob off and it like disintegrated in her hand like all the pieces just like fell apart as so oh. and she was stuck in the bathroom and it was locked <laughs> And she's claustrophobic, and she's like, you know. <laughs> like Man, I, so many stories that you have are straight out of movies. Like, so many stories and moments. We didn't get a lot of sleep that night. <laughs> That's creepy, man. Whew. See, it's when you stack that story on top of something else weird happen. You know, that's oh man. I'm sorry you experienced that. That's brutal. Yeah, it's good. I I I love that the. I mean, what he had that moment that I think lots of us have. His threshold moment when he was standing at McDonald's, and right, man. and thought either you know how many all of us I would say all of us have been in some scenario where we know. This is the moment we've got to act on. And we either like stay, we like swallow it down. We just swallow the pride. We swallow the fear, whatever it is that's telling us to move. And we, and and by the way, like, you know, it's been said that the best management job you could ever have ever is managing McDonald's. Like it's supposed to be the best like business job you could ever have. Um, So I've got nothing against them, but, um, but there's also that moment where you realize you're just not built for whatever situation you're going through. And yeah, like you said, that you know, there's plenty of people out there who are great accountants and love it. You know, yeah. he yeah. wasn't one of them sitting yeah. in his big ass, you know, ochre yellow <laughs> tunic or whatever he was wearing with his hair oh, anywhere. Yeah, he had his big uh <laughs> his big sweater on with his like coveralls over it. And that's that I mean yeah. it, I, I have a lot of sympathy uh and and empathy because I've been in a place in life where you know the call, you've had it, and yet you feel like the structure you've built around your life, yeah, it will not allow the move that you know you need to make. And that's a tough spot, you know. And Joseph Campbell talks about that in Power of Myth, where he just says that's the that's the person that brings compassion from from people like you and I who have been fortunate enough 
creative enough, privileged enough, patient enough, bold enough to make those moves, you know? And well, I, I know there's, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I say that it, one might look at me and say, I've made the right decisions, but I've definitely been in jobs for instance, or relationships way too long. You know, the, the expiration date was long in the tooth by the time I hit the ejector seat on those things. Well, that's the thing though, man, it doesn't, and I know you know this, but it, it matters so little how long it took you to get there if you get there, yeah. you know? But until you get there, that time sours and builds and gets corrosion on it and it, it gets worse. But I swear, like, there's been 10, 15 years that I've allowed pass in my own life. And I've known as to my friends as like a pretty... I prioritize that shit, you know? Right. Um, and I still, you know, fuck up and ignore and misread, you know, like the signs we're talking about and, and don't act, or I, I didn't really understand the way to act, or I felt trapped by a relationship, you know, um, or finances or, um, location, uh, you know, all that stuff yeah. or my emotions. Sometimes you're just, your own emotions don't feel like they can hack the path that you know you need to take. And mm -hmm. it's like, you got to find a way and building community and making small changes that lead to the ability to make a bigger change that lead to the ability to make the big change. Like that's the way. And in, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. That's beautiful. The other thing that stood out to me was, was him running into his friend on the bus that serendipitous moment of like, you know, how many times have we been somewhere where you're like, Oh man, I haven't seen this guy in a long time or haven't been to this place in a long time. Or, you know, it seems random at the time he talks to the guy how you doing? And, he, and the way he described him was, and it was like his, his he described his emotions, the guy's emotions as like, the, he was just so excited and so happy. And he said his heart was so full. Oh, right. Yeah. And he's like, I, I got to do it. Uh, you know, I've got to just <laughs> give it a shot. I got to give it a shot. If this guy's so happy and he's so fulfilled doing this, looks so, looks so, and sounds so fulfilled doing this. And I just owe it to myself to, to give, even try. And I, and I wonder how many times we miss those things too. And then, you know, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. Like sometimes you feel like you hit these, these like serendipitous moments. Like you see the thing, you see the sign, you see it, see it, see it. It's just like, boom, 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 boom. And then you end up in this, like, like a state of doldrums or something for a while or, or a dead end or something. And you're like, man, did I misread all those? Like those were all, it just seems so right. Like, it just seems so absolutely right. And what the hell is going on now? And, and I think it's, it's, you can never discount the importance of trusting your heart of like, you know, crossing those thresholds and saying yes, no matter what the outcome is like, like it's you, the outcome isn't, we've said this, uh, either we said it on a podcast I can't remember if we've said it and it like, hasn't, we've not talked about, you know, it's not been aired yet, <laughs> but the idea that like, uh, the journey is as important as the, is more important than the outcome. And I've got a friend right now in particular, who's like, he's got all the signs pointing him to one place. And he is like, we might actually have to have him on here. To, his, his story is batshit crazy. I mean, he's like quit his job. He's doing all kinds of stuff to, to move his family to a foreign country right now in this time of history when like you can't leave the country 
and you can't get into another country. And they're in this weird kind of state of in between. And yet I thought, damn, the guy's like the bravest person I know to, 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 to follow his heart and to follow that thing that's going on inside him. It's easy for a young Tom O'Leary in the, in the late eighties, who's young and like, doesn't have much to lose. It's really fucking hard when you're 40 years old and you've got a bunch of kids and, or you've just had a lot of experience that tells you it may not work out and that it's risky. And and then I think that that period of doldrums or that period of difficulty that is so antithetical to the ease and serendipity that led you there. Yeah. I, my theory on, on what that is, is that you are now stepping into a new life Mm. and you're going to have new habits and you're going to, or new things that you would like to become habits, but they're not habits yet. And you're maybe in new places and you're using different words and you're feeling, you're getting different emotions triggered. And, and I think what's happening there is it's, it's difficult. You know, because the entire um, your your brain chemistry is is set up for your old life, and while there's going to yeah. be new things that are going to trigger very positive emotions, there's also going to be a lot of places where you're like you're greasing new grooves, and a groove that isn't greased is it, you slip off it all the time. You spend your most of your time trying to balance, yeah. and I, I run into that a lot, and just kind of understanding what's going on, not misreading that as something that is saying don't do this is a huge huge part and i've been with people in relationships actually there where they do that they get on the new path and then it's kind of hard and then they think that that means they shouldn't be on it right you know it's like nah nah yeah dig in yeah yeah the the hardness is actually the sign that you should be there like yeah it makes sense and i think that's what's amazing about o'leary's story is that is that he changed it up big time when he opened that pub. And I remember as his friend, and this is just my role in people's lives, I guess, mm-hmm. and or at least what I think of as my role their people in their lives. I was like, part of me was like, dang, man, you should go back to acting. You know, that's your passion. Yeah. And like, I was wrong, you know, and I didn't know Tom as well back then. But as I've gotten to know him, it's really smart. You know, he built up, he he built has built up the aspects of his world that have included family and included community and included ob- obligation and responsibility. And, um, and now as he's took four or five years longer than that, really, since he left acting, he's created this thing that can now support acting in a way that maybe it would have burnt itself out or not been right. as enriching. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's woven back together uh, in a integrated way. I think integration yeah. is a good way to describe it. The, it takes a long, long time though. It yeah. really does. And I think that's a, that it, all integration does. I, I think all integration takes a long time. Like it yeah. needs to work oh, itself sure. out for, for a while. I don't know. Like anyone I've known who started a restaurant or a bar or anything wants what he's got, which is this place that feels like community, this place that feels like family. And that is really, really, really difficult. My wife and I were, you know, community advocators, leaders, and it is freaking difficult. And to then add the element of business around it and then add an element of like, well, people can't come in legally. Well, I don't know about legally, but, you know, because of COVID, um, uh, you know, that's no joke. That's no joke, but he's doing it. And that's a gift to all of us. I think, you know, to see, but it's good, man. Uh, you know, this is another great gift to get to do this together every time. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I great. can't believe we get to do it. And uh, see you next time. Next time, I think we'll be talking to 
psychologist. <laughs> Ooh, sounds fun. Sounds yeah. good, brother. We'll catch All you right. then. Grace and peace, man. Adios. Bye-bye.